I want to actually read the Christmas story this morning. The reason I want to read the Christmas story is uh, I have a feeling in the midst of all the busyness around Christmas, it's, have you noticed that Christmas season is surrounded with busyness? Look at the empty seats today. I think that's an indicator. <laughs> we got stuff to do. Sometimes it's possible to get through the entire Christmas season and the day after Christmas it dawns on you, if it dawns on you at all, and I think there are a lot of people, it never dawns on them, that hey, I got through the whole Christmas season, I celebrated Christmas, I even, you know, I went to church and all that and I had my friends over and I was with my family, but I never even really heard the Christmas story. I drove by nativity scenes in yards in front of churches and stuff, but I've never, I never took the time to read the Christmas story. So today, I want to take the gospel accounts of the birth narratives and string them together and basically just read the Christmas story. Um, And here's something interesting, and hopefully uh, you know this. We have four accounts of Jesus' life. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we say that all the time because we want you to know that. And it's 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 a big deal to me that we don't have just an account. We have multiple accounts. We have four accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew and Luke actually give us the birth narrative, the whole thing about Jesus and Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph, and we get pieces of that story in Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't even mention the birth narrative. In fact, Mark, is the, it's the, he's the shortest of the Gospels. He's very direct, and here's how the Gospel of Mark begins. He starts like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, boom, and he jumps right in. There's, he just starts. It's like, I'm skipping the Mary and Joseph and all angels and all that stuff, and he goes right from you know, there to John the Baptist, and then you're already into the ministry of Jesus. John, the Gospel writer John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who also wrote some other things that are in the New Testament, some letters in the New Testament. On the, John, on the other hand, it's, it's fascinating to me because John doesn't really tell us what happened. He tells us why it happened. And it's really interesting because John, when Jesus died on the cross, as he was dying, you might remember this, he said to his mother, Mary, Mary, I want you to take John as your son because I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be here, obviously. And John, I want you to take my mother, Mary, as your mother and take care of her. So tradition tells us and history tells us that even after the resurrection, that John, the gospel writer John, actually took care of Mary for perhaps many, many years. Some think that they moved to Ephesus. There's a place right outside Ephesus, which is modern-day uh, Selchuk in Turkey, uh, a place where they... Actually, they say that Mary and John actually lived there, and he took care of her in her old age. We don't know if that's the case, but we know, do know that John knew Mary, knew her well, cared for her and her family. John was so close uh, to Mary, think about this, that if anybody ever heard, I mean, if anybody ever heard the birth narrative, you know, what was that like? How did that all play out? What did people say about it? All those things that we would wonder about, John knew because John knew Mary. And yet John begins his gospel. He doesn't begin with the Bethlehem and angels and shepherds and all that stuff. John tells us why Jesus came. And he says stuff like this. He begins his gospel this way. He says, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In other words, when he began his gospel, instead of the birth narrative, he decides to let everybody know, listen, here's what really happened. Here's the deal. God has made an appearance. Now, John's an old man when he writes this. I mean, he's seen Jesus crucified. 
He's peered into an empty tomb. He's seen and interacted with the resurrected Jesus. And he sees all the chaos that follows, the persecution of the church, the destruction of the temple. I mean, the whole world turned upside down. He's an old man looking back. And he just wants us to know right up front, hey, as you get into this thing, just in case you don't finish it, you know, in case you don't get past the first chapter, you need to know, here's what I think. And I, having seen the whole thing, God showed up. God showed up in a human body. He made his dwelling or he camped out among us. He says things like this. He says, the true light, this is up front. Again, just goes to the why behind the what. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In other words, he says, I just want you to know that on that very first Christmas morning, God brought everybody a gift. He brought everybody a gift. The true light that was for everyone was coming into the world. And the true light, which meant that from that point on, as we began to understand what Jesus taught, that we would live our lives being able to see in dark places and understand things that people maybe before Jesus never understood. That the light coming to the darkness means we would go, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I never saw that. I never saw that in me before. I didn't realize that that's how I'm supposed to treat people. Now it's making sense to me. But the thing that makes John's introduction, in fact, John's entire gospel, so fascinating is that John is the one who gets extremely personal about Jesus. He writes this up front in his gospel. He says says this. He says, to all, that would be to you and me, and your mother, and your mother-in-law, and your father, and your cousin, and your brother, and your brother-in-law, and all those people you don't really care to spend time with this Christmas. He says, to all who did receive him. And then it's like he paused, and he went, receive him. He's like, okay, I'm writing this, but they're not going to understand what I mean by this. Receive him. What's that mean? To all who receive him. How do you receive somebody you've never actually met? How do you receive a baby? How do you receive someone that's gone to heaven? Because he's writing this after the fact. To all who did receive him. And John does something kind of cool, and this is so important, it's a little bit geeky, and that's why I get excited about it, but this is, uh, it's important, it's extraordinary. John realizes, okay, they got to get this. I can't just go on from, they got to get this at the very beginning. They got to understand how personal this is. This isn't just a story. So John takes two Greek words that had never been combined before, and he creates a phrase, In our culture, when somebody uses a word in a way that nobody else uses it, you stop and you're like, huh, what? What do they mean by that? What? Oh, what they actually meant was this. They said this, they meant that. Sometimes it's done on purpose as a way to get people's attention. But a phrase sometimes will come to mean something that it didn't mean before. People will start using a phrase in a way that's never been used before and becomes kind of what we call an idiom. It sort of becomes a cultural thing. And then after about 10 years of using it, you're like, oh, that was so 90s what he just said, or that was so 80s, or that was like last year. Come on, that's not how we say that anymore. So John does this. He takes two Greek words that according to all Greek literature up to this point had never been put together before. He takes the Greek word pistuo, which means to believe to be true. And he takes that little Greek word, then he takes this little connector word that means in, it's just a preposition, And he puts them together. This has never been done before in any Greek literature. He says, to all who did receive him, to those who, and he pauses, and he's like, how do I say this? To those who believed in. Believed in. Those two words had never been put together before in a phrase. To those who believed in. It's more than believe that. You see the difference? 
It's more the idea of placing one's weight upon. It's like trusting in, to receive him, to those who, to repeat the idea, believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. It's like John wants you to know this isn't just a story. This is personal. If you want to know the why behind the what, if you want to know the why behind the birth narrative, if you want to know the answers to the question, you know, why do we even have these stories? Why did Jesus come? And the whole, why the whole Mary and Joseph thing? Why do we observe this every year? What's this all about? Why all of that? I think the person to ask is John, because he knew Jesus' mother Mary. He'd heard the story a hundred times and he experienced all of Jesus' ministry. And in fact, at the end of John's gospel, at the very end of his gospel, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So at the end of John, the very end, just to make sure we don't miss the why behind the why, he starts with the why behind the why and he ends with the why. Here's how he closes it. He says, but these things are written, the very end of the book of John, they're written so that you, like you, all of you, all of us, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you, all of you, you may have life in his name. He wanted us to know that this actually happened. This is history. This is God in a human body. This is all of that, and this is the purpose of it, the reason, the why behind the what, so that you could have a personal relationship with a God that up till this point seemed so unknowable. It was true that God loved the whole world, but it was more than that. God loved the you in the world. God loved every single individual. And it's true that Jesus, John would write that Jesus died for the sins of the world, but John wanted us to know that Jesus died for your sin. This is where we get the idea of a personal savior. You hear us talk all the time about, we say things like, you know, in our little churchy terminology that Jesus is my personal savior. But John wanted to know this is a real deal. Like this is personal. That Jesus came into the world for the whole world, but he came into the world for every single individual person. So he writes that these are written. I've written all of this stuff so that you as an individual may believe in. Here's the coolest thing. And I promise I'm going to get to the Christmas story. But I get a little excited about this. Here's the thing. It took John, it took Matthew, it took Peter and Andrew and James and all those followers of Jesus. took them three years to figure this out. And throughout Jesus' whole ministry, they're going, okay, are, are, are you? I've read all the stuff. I know the, pro, the prophecy. Are you? I mean, is now the time? Are you the one? Are, is now the time you're going to do your thing? Are you gonna, is this when you're going to restore Israel? I mean, the miracles and all that, that's all great, and it's kind of cool, it draws a crowd, but now's the time? Is this it, Jesus? Is now the time we're going to have a great kingdom again? Is now the time you're going to throw off the Roman rule? Because we, we believe you're the Messiah. We believe you're the one. But when, when are we going to get on with a little bit of more Messiahing? You know, like the teaching thing, Rabbi, that's great, but let's, move, let's step it up a notch and kick in the Messiah thing. When are you going to start acting like a Messiah? When are you going to get the show on the road? When are we going to get this thing going? Because we're in Jesus. And for three years, they kept waiting for him to do something that he never planned to do. They were waiting for him to do something he didn't come to do. Took them three years and maybe a little more to understand that this is about a man who's coming to the world, the son of God, to be the savior of the world, not just the savior of Israel. And it took them a few years to realize that, that all along they had the wrong agenda. And here's all right, that's important for you and important for me. Because a lot of us have the wrong agenda when it comes to Jesus as well. 
we want Jesus to be so many things and we want him to do so many things and we want to put Jesus in so many different little boxes. And John wants us to make sure that we don't miss the why behind the what. That Jesus didn't come to be a culture warrior. He didn't come to win the war on Christmas. He didn't come to forward a political agenda. He didn't come to heal people from their physical ailments. Jesus came into this world to be Savior. A personal one-to-one Savior. And if John were here, I think his question for us this Christmas would be this. Do you believe in? Do you believe in? There's a big difference between believing that and believing in. Do you believe in this Jesus, this Savior? Have you trusted in, to use that little phrase that he crafted to make sure we didn't miss what it meant to receive Jesus? Do you believe in? Um, Here's what I think John would say to us. Maybe he would say, if you don't believe, keep seeking. If you aren't sure you believe, keep asking. Because he would say, hey, it took me a while too. And I spent time with Jesus. And I traveled with Jesus. And I heard him teach. And I saw the miracles. And I got close to his family. And I got close to Mary. And it still took me a while. So hang in there. I sat by the campfire with this guy. I saw, I was in the boat when Peter climbed over the side. And we thought, Peter, you know, way to go. If anybody's going to do it, you're going to do it. Way to go. Oh, 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 no, Peter. You know, I was there. I witnessed all these things you've read about, but now I'm an old man. I realize it took me a while to understand why Jesus came. He came for the whole world. And he came for the sins of the whole world. But, because, but Jesus explained to us, and, and we finally got it, that as much as we thought our problem was Rome, as much as we thought our problem was money, as much as we thought our problem was our culture, as much as we thought our problem was him or her or somebody else or that thing, or something, it finally dawned on us that God sent us exactly what we need because our problem was sin. So I think John would say to you and say to us, don't kid yourself about the point of Christmas. Christmas is not about a warm fuzzy. Christmas is not about family. Christmas is not about generosity. Christmas is not about any of these things we've dumbed it down to. Christmas is about God sending his son into the world because he sent him here to be your personal savior. All right, the Christmas story. So the Christmas story, there are two birth narratives that we get from the book of Matthew and from the book of Luke. The truth is they're not even really books. They're just ancient documents that got collected and put together in what we know as the New Testament. And they got somehow connected to the Jewish scripture, the Old Testament. Luke, Luke is great. I love Luke's writing. Um, In fact, if you're not a Christian, somebody dragged you here. uh, You got to go to church for a couple weeks so that you can enjoy yourself at the Christmas family meal and all that. So that people are withholding judgment or you can stay in the will or whatever. Um, I don't know why you're here. If you don't do anything else this Christmas and you're like, you know, how long is this going to last? And you've already been speaking for like 20 minutes. Like, is, are you almost done? I'm just getting started. And you may not even have a Bible. And uh, you, you, you can actually, when no one's looking, this will be a safe place. You, we have Wi-Fi. You can go to the app store wherever you get your apps. And you can download the version Bible. It's just called the Bible app. And you can go to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and just read the first few verses of Luke, because Luke's going to tell us something that perhaps we didn't know before today. There's a chance maybe we've never seen this in the story before today. When Luke began his gospel, 
Remember Mark just jumps right in with his gospel, like, let's get this thing going. John's like, let me tell you why. Luke is different because Luke begins this way. He says, hey, I've heard all these stories. I've met all these fascinating people. I wasn't there. I didn't witness a lot of it. I, I've seen some of the miracles as a part of the crowd, and I've talked to John a lot, but somebody's got to write this down so that people will know what happened. So Luke went around very methodically and interviewed all the eyewitnesses, and he put together an orderly account. I think it's important that Luke doesn't begin with once upon a time, you know, or in a galaxy far, far away. Luke's almost, but, you know, I know what I'm, sorry, uh, I'm treading very, back off. Luke's, Luke's gospel begins with, I've talked to people who were there. I've talked to the eyewitnesses. I put together an orderly account about how this thing actually came down. So let's read some verses from Luke. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, uh, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, it's way up north, in a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. That's, a, that's an important statement. The Lord is with you because she was scared to death. I mean, you would be too. In fact, the next verse says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You know, Luke's writing all this down. He's talking to eyewitnesses and he's obviously here talking to Mary. She was the only eyewitness. And the angel continues. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You're not in trouble. So, so Mary's like, you know, here's an angel. I've got to be in trouble because this stuff is never good when angels show up. Whenever God showed up, bad things happen in the Old Testament. A lot of times, you know, in our story of the nation of Israel, when angels showed up, it's like, look out, hit the ground because some stuff's going to happen. He says, do not worry, Mary. You're highly favored. You've found favor with God. This should have been the, the first sign that a new era was upon them. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him. This is really important. You're to call him Jesus. This is tricky. Jesus is actually the Latin name for Jesus. She didn't hear Jesus. She didn't even hear the Greek word because the Greek word for Jesus is just is a transliteration of the Hebrew word that we know as. Anybody want to take a guess at this? Joshua. Joshua. But there's no J pronounced in Hebrew, so it's pronounced Yeshua. That's what she heard, Yeshua. So when, this is important for later in the story, so when she hears an angel say, you're going to give birth to a son, I'm going to go and tell you right now what to name him, just to kind of take that pressure off of you. You are to name him after that Old Testament hero, Joshua, Yeshua. And this is important later in the story. Verse uh, 32. And he will be great. And he'll be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. This is interesting, because if you've been a Christian for very long, if you've ever read like the book of Acts, or if you've read the New Testament, you'll, you'll, you'll know that oftentimes we say things like, we are part of the kingdom of God. We, if, you, if you've grown up in a tradition, you recite the Lord's Prayer, and you use those words, the, yours is the kingdom. We trace the idea of being part of the kingdom of God, not specifically back to God the Father, but back to Jesus. So we know for sure that what the angel told Mary has come true for at least 2,000 plus years because this kingdom that we know as the church would eventually be launched by Jesus and we talk about it and we live in it today. So we're going to hit the pause button uh, with Luke and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. 
And here's how Matthew begins his account of Jesus' life. This is verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. Well, Matthew, you know, tell us, what's your version of the story? Well, here's how it begins. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was, this is a bad day. This is a bad day for Mary. Okay? She was found, or literally found out. It was discovered. She was shot. And even though the angel had appeared, and even though she knew this was coming, you're like, you know, maybe I was imagining that. Maybe, you know, I ate something, and I had a weird dream, and maybe I don't remember it quite right, or I got the words mixed up. How in the world is this going to happen? And then suddenly she realizes she's pregnant, and she tells someone who tells someone, but she doesn't tell them the whole story, because they would think she's crazy. I mean, wouldn't you? I'm telling you, this is a big deal. This is a slightly different culture than the one we live in. This was a capital offense. She could have been put to death. She could have been executed. She certainly, at the very least, would have been ostracized. So she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Pause. (laughs) Just think about that. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. In other words, we've got to keep the law. So what's a law require? says, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, and he had in mind to divorce, divorce her quietly. And you may know this, but in that day, because they were promised to each other, it was like they were married, that the commitment level was like they were married. So for him to like, break off the engagement, there was no such thing. It wasn't like, okay, I, I need my letter jacket back. I need my class ring back. I need, what do I do with the diamond? Do I return it? Do I hawk it? What do I do with it? I don't know. What, it's a bigger deal than that. It, this was actually a legal process. He had to actually go to a priest, and he would actually have to sign some things, and he had to legally break up this relationship because she had been promised to him for years, possibly since she was a child, or maybe since he was a child. This is a big, or, this is a big deal, and it's a big ordeal. There is no way for this not to be public in their community. But he's going to try to keep it on the down low and as secret as possible. Story continues, verse 20. But after he considered this, after he thought this through, it's like, Lord, I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? (laughs) An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So Matthew gives us Joseph's side of the story, and this is what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Even though uh, people are going to talk, even though people are going to assume that you're the father, even though people are going to assume that you weren't a good law keeper after all, even though people are going to assume that you've brought disrespect and you've brought shame to your family. He says, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. And she'll give birth to a son. This is where it gets exciting for Joseph. She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. Again, he didn't hear Jesus. That's Latin. He didn't hear the Greek word. That's the transliteration. He heard Yeshua. And so an angel says to him in a dream, Mary's going to give birth to a son. It's not your biological son. It's from the Holy Spirit. You're to name him Joshua. You're to name him Yeshua. You're to name him Jesus. Because, man, this is huge. If Joseph had woken up, or if Joseph had had the presence of mind to respond, we don't know what was going through his mind, but he would have understood what was being implied. He's like, you don't have to tell me the significance of this because I know, because I know our story, because I know. And I know if this son of mine or this son of Mary is to be born through the Holy Spirit, is going to be given the name Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, I know why he's here. The angel said, because he'll save his people. 
because he'll save his people. To which Joseph would have said, I get it. I figured that out. I know our story. I know he's going to save his people. Because we all know that one day a Messiah is going to come. We've been reading all the prophecy and hearing it for years and generations. And he's going to have the wisdom of Moses. And he's going to be a leader like Joshua. And just like Joshua took the nation of Israel into the promised land and vanquished and conquered all of Israel's enemies. In the same way, the Messiah is going to show up. He's going to throw off our oppressors. In this case, it's Rome. He's going to throw off our enemies. We're going to be a great nation again. So like, this is cool. I'm part of a fulfillment of this thing that we've all looked for for hundreds of years. We're going to have a son. His name is going to be Joshua. Yeshua, Jesus, and he's going to be like Joshua of the Old Testament, and he's going to save his people. And the angel's like, well, hey, I'm not done. You interrupted me. Because he'll save his people from their sins. It's like, oh, okay. Okay, hey, time out, angel. Uh, didn't catch your name. I know Gabriel showed up to Mary. I don't even know what your name is, but uh, that's not like, it's like not a big deal, the sin thing. Like, that's not even a pressing need. Uh, I don't know if you know about this, Angel, or how that works for you, but uh, like 70 or 80 miles like south of here, we have a pretty sophisticated save you from your sins system. It's called the temple. It's called the law of Moses. We got save you from your sins covered. When I sin, man, I go, I go down there, take a couple pigeons or a lamb, or if it's a big one, like a goat or something really big, and we do a sacrifice. But we're all saved from our sins. We don't need to be saved from our sins. Now, Rome... They need to be saved from their sins, and we need to be saved from Rome, like plague style, okay? Like Old Testament style, like locusts and frogs, and all that whole Red Sea thing would be awesome. So angel, if there's going to be some saving going on, I got some ideas for you. See, this wasn't what they were looking for. What the angel had to say was not their agenda for the Messiah. And yet the angel said to Joseph, you're going to have a son, he'll come in the spirit of Joshua, the deliverer, the savior, but he's come to save your people from the thing they need saving from the most, from their sin. Verse 24. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, because that's what you do when an angel shows up and calls you by name. If an angel of the Lord appears to you, you do whatever the angel tells you to do, uh, if you're sure it's an angel. Uh, he said, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. And since they weren't actually married, verse 25, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's go back because the story, we're going to back to Luke because the story continues. And this gets kind of dramatic because it's so big and so rich and a little familiar. So let's, let's read this with some fresh eyes. You've heard this a thousand times. The words just kind of roll over us, but this is such a big deal. Because some time goes by here, and by now everybody knows she's pregnant, and they still haven't had a wedding. And there's all this murmuring, these rumors, and who's going to believe their crazy story? So Luke gives us more details. Uh, in those days, Caesar Augustus, the first Roman emperor, before this, Rome was a republic. But Caesar Augustus changed all that, and he became the king of Rome, even though Rome didn't want a king. So in the very era where Rome had their first king, a Jewish king was born. A king who would be so much more than king of the Jews. A king who would be king of all kings. Luke chapter 2 verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire world. And everyone went to their own town to register. This is so amazing because Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth. So this is 70 or 80, some people say 90 miles, depending on which route you take uh, from Bethlehem. So, but the prophets uh, of old, uh, the Jewish prophets predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. 
but they don't live in Bethlehem. They live in Nazareth. But now she's, giving, she's close to giving birth, and they're thinking, uh-oh, we're going to give birth in Nazareth. What's happening here? Somewhere along the way, God elbowed somebody in the empire. And word got to Caesar Augustus, we need to, you know, we should count the people. If we're going to tax them the way we want to tax them, we should count them first. So let's count the people. And so God used the most powerful man on the planet to make sure that Jesus, the fulfillment of hundreds of years of prophecy, was born in the right place. And Caesar Augustus never even knew about that. But it earned him a mention in the story of the birth of the Savior of the world. You've never heard Luke 2, but you've heard Caesar's name. That's kind of cool. Verse 3. Everyone went to their own town to register. So you know the story. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth because they were, they were way north in Galilee down to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house in the line of David. And he went there to register as the law required with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. This was not an easy journey. In all the picture books and all the story books, Mary's riding a what? A donkey, right. Which verse is that in? Right, there'd be no verses, okay? It's not, you won't find that in the New Testament. But it looks good in the little, you know, whatever idea we have of what this story's all about. And oh, also, they're by themselves. It's just like a, a clear, moonlit night. And uh, there, she's all to, totally comfy, reclining on the donkey there, just kind of strolling along and going through the badlands. And he's in the front, kind of walking along. She's got her legs kind of draped over. She's totally comfortable. It's great. Maybe that's how it happened. Or maybe she was in like a horrible wagon of some kind, just bump, 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 you know, and she's, or she's on a horse or a mule or, or, or listen, maybe she was walking. They definitely weren't alone. There's no doubt about that. They came with a group. People always travel in groups. It just wasn't the two of them. That was too dangerous. And, and it took a long time. Could have taken anywhere from five to eight days to make this journey. And, oh, did I mention she's very pregnant? But they have to go, and they, they're probably in a bad mood about the whole thing. They still got some nursery stuff to finish up and all that, and they got to get the go bag ready and all everything, but they got to go. So the timing's terrible. They're making their way to the city of David to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy. That would not have happened in the most powerful world, most powerful man in the world hadn't decided to listen to his advisors and decide to count everybody at the most inopportune time imaginable. I think that's kind of cool, interesting coincidence. Verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. That's how I read that story, and as you dig into it, you realize it's not like there weren't any guest rooms. There weren't any guest rooms for them. They're an unmarried couple, and she's about to have a baby. They're going to have to figure that out on their own. There was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. It was night. And an angel of the Lord, man, the angels are busy right now, appeared to them. This is so interesting because, you know, we could ask the question, why shepherds? Why did you choose shepherds? There are a lot of, I, I think, I mean, there are a lot of people in this town. There are lots of different uh, trades and jobs and all that. But I think maybe the shepherd costume was the easiest one for us to replicate in our Sunday school pageants. I don't know. Just put on a bathrobe and a towel on your head, kid. You're good to go. Why not, you know, I don't know, why not the plumbers or why not carpenters or why not the shopkeepers? And, but why shepherds? And the answer is we don't know that. But here's what we know about shepherds. Shepherds, and this is really important, were always ceremonially unclean. They couldn't enter the temple. 
And here's why, if you need to know why. Because when you walk around all day behind hundreds or maybe thousands of sheep, you step in things <laughs> that was not permitted. And you were always ceremonially unclean. You couldn't, even though they had this sophisticated system for atonement of your sins, if you're ceremonially unclean, there was no atonement for your sin. I mean, you guys, you provide the lambs for people to eat and provide the lambs for temple sacrifices. And, you know, if they're in this area and they're visiting, you know, they're obviously selling a lot of sheep to people who are going to make sacrifices. But they themselves, in a sense, were kind of outcasts from the whole religious system. And so God chooses to announce the birth of his son to the group of people that would least likely uh, be able to participate in something like this. Verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Everybody in this story is terrified. <laughs> I bring you, it's, the angel says to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news. Oh, they're like, man, we thought we were being called to the principal's office. Like, what? when God calls like this, it's going to be good. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This is the announcement to the shepherds. Today in the town of David, here it is, a Savior has been born to you. You guys who thought you were beyond saving, you guys who never get included in anything religious, you guys that kind of serve the religious people, you serve the rich people, you serve the middle class people, you even serve the lower middle class people. Sometimes you get to serve the poor people, but they usually don't come to you because they can only afford pigeons and doves. But the guys that were sort of the outcast, a savior has been born to you. You're included. A savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. You've heard about this your whole life, guys. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be assigned to you. Here's how you're going to know you found him. This will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped. You're like, well, how are we going to find a baby, first of all? We're, well, we're not finished. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth. Oh, that is so helpful, Mr. Angel. Thanks. A baby wrapped in cloths. We've never seen that before. We're not finished. A baby wrapped in cloth and lying in something you guys know about, a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appear with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. We all know this line. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Even shepherds. When the shepherds had left them, or the angels had left them, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, hmm, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has, this is so important. Oh man, this is so important. Anybody bored yet? Don't be bored because just, just look at the screen here. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Here's what you need to understand if, if you're not a Christian. We are Christians because something happened. We are Christians because God came to earth and something happened and people recorded what happened. And because when important things happen, you record them. Now, everything the emperor did got recorded. So everything famous generals did got recorded. But other than emperors and, you know, generals and all that, not very much got recorded in the first century. Now, pay attention, listen. Now, we have four accounts of the life of a carpenter from Nazareth. We have four accounts of the life of a carpenter from Nazareth. Why? Because something happened. And the fact that something happened was why it was recorded and why it was precious and why it was copied and why it was preserved and why people died to make sure it made it to our generation. 
We're not Jesus followers simply because we believe a book. We're Jesus followers because something happened. God came to earth in the form of a baby. This is such a big deal that even though they were nobodies, this story got recorded. It got protected and copied and cherished. People died to make sure it's passed on from generation to generation because something happened that the Lord has told us about. Verse 16. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Can you imagine? And perhaps the most important verse in the whole birth narrative, I love this, moms, you get this. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them, hid them, rehearsed them, thought about it, refelt it, rethought about it, thought about it again in her heart. Because after all, who would believe this? Her reputation had been shattered, so she told no one about that whole story because no one would believe it. We assume that she and Joseph tried to raise Jesus as normally as possible. And then one day, about 33 years later, she would watch her firstborn son die. Then she would peer a few days later, peer into an empty tomb. She'd be embraced by her resurrected son who she knew without a doubt in that moment was in fact exactly what the angels foretold. He was the savior of the world, but he wasn't just a savior, he was her personal savior. And Matthew would do his best to write it down and get it right because something happened. And Luke would do his best to write it down and get it right because he wanted to put things in some sort of logical order because something happened. But it would be John who took care of Mary, who would be, it would be John who summarized it best, I would say, in my opinion. Years later, we can't even imagine this. Years later, he's an old man. He's sitting by him. He's the only one of Jesus' original 12 who actually lived to old age. And he's an old man. And he's sitting by himself. And he's writing all this down to make sure that, hey, this has got to survive me. Because something happened. He gets to the part in the story of Jesus. And he comes up with, he wants a way to summarize it. Like, how do I summarize this? How do I put this into kind of a statement? Little did he know that what he was about to write would be repeated and memorized by children and adults all over the world in languages that had yet to be spoken and nations that had yet to be founded. Just think about this. It had never been written down before. John, who saw it all, who experienced it all, who heard that narrative from Mary dozens of times, a hundred times. It's like, how do I summarize this? You might have read these words in as the words of Jesus. If you have a print Bible and it's a red letter Bible where all the words of Jesus are in red, these words may be in red, but most scholars today agree that these are John's words, not Jesus. This is his summary of the gospel message. So in God's grace, he allowed John to say it this way in chapter three and verse 16. For God so loved. Let's just stop there. This was brand new. People hearing this had never thought of God as being a God of love. Ever read the Old Testament? God so loved. This is, this is the Christmas story. God so loved that he gave his one and only son that whoever, 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 aren't you glad that it's whoever? I love this. He's like, I got to, oh, and now what I'm going to do? I'm going to use my new phrase I came up with. I got to use this. Whoever believes in, 
trusts in, place their weight upon, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But it didn't stop there. Here's the part we never memorized as kids. Here's the kicker. Here's the punctuation. Here's the thing. Here's why we celebrate Christmas. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that's the gospel. That's Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because the angels were right. God sent a savior into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, which means in spite of what we think we need, in spite of what you think you need this Christmas, God understood what we really needed, a savior, a personal savior, who is Christ the Lord. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't stay a baby in a manger. you glad? Became a rabbi, a teacher, a miracle worker, a revolutionary. It became clear that he was the promised Messiah. He came to bring forgiveness for sins and fullness of life. He died and he rose again and he ascended to the Father and he's very much alive and he doesn't want to be a far off big brother from a distance God. He wants you to relate to him as savior and friend and he's proved once and for all because he's given us joy and he's accepted us the way we are and he died for our sins. My greatest desire for you is that you would come to know Jesus in a very personal way. In fact, if you're already convinced and maybe you've been on the fence and you've been trying to figure out where you land with this, but now you're, you, you're convinced and you're ready to move into a relationship with Jesus. You're ready for today to be your moment in time where you begin a new chapter as a follower of Christ, if that's where you are in your spiritual journey and you're ready for that defining moment, I want to lead you in a prayer. And while I pray, the band and the worship team is going to come. They're going to come right now. So let's bow our heads. You can pray with me silently right where you are. You can change the words, use your own words. That's not really that important. Say something like this, that, Lord, I believe I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus came to be my Savior. I'm placing all my trust in Jesus' death on the cross as a payment for my sin. And I'm not trusting in my background. I'm not trusting in my efforts. I'm not trusting in my church participation. I'm not trusting in my baptism. I'm putting all of my faith in who Jesus is and what he did on my behalf. Receive me into your family. I accept your gift of eternal life in Jesus' name. Now let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. It's interesting that we have bits and pieces of the lives of famous first century people. But to think that you would honor us in our generation with so, so much detail around the birth and the life of Jesus. An obscure peasant couple who had a baby named Yeshua and I hope that perhaps, perhaps. And yet 2,000 years later, here we are. And we would say it's completely changed our lives. Change our lives in ways that we don't even really recognize sometimes because we don't even know what you've saved us from. Thanks to your grace. For others of us in this room, we would say, uh, we wish we'd heard this when we were younger. Others of us wish we'd taken it seriously when we were younger.
Here we are in this season, though, this Christmas season, to say thank you for sending exactly what we needed. A Savior who would save us from our sin. So, Heavenly Father, if it's never been personal before, I pray that it would become personal today, this Christmas season. And it's in your Son's name that we pray.